Hi, I'm Erica, and I'm a queer, neurodivergent member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm on a mission to spread empathy and create inclusion and understanding. I'm so glad you're here. Today, I'm excited to share three principles for lasting discipleship. Um, These thoughts are based on a talk I gave in sacrament meeting. This was last year, and I was asked to speak about lasting discipleship, a conference talk by Stephen Lund. Um, If I remember correctly, it's from October 2022. Um, So this episode will be a little bit different because I'm going to basically read the talk. Um, So maybe it'll be a little bit less casual conversation, a little bit more of a formal um, talk. And these are my thoughts. Um, I just decided, well... When I was preparing the talk, I just really felt impressed to share my real life um, personal experiences um, that had brought me closer to Christ through um, the struggles I'd been through and the things I'd been learning. We often talk about the do's when it comes to being a disciple of Christ, like scripture study, going to church, service, prayer, going to the temple, etc. A few years ago, I hit an ultimate low and I couldn't do the do's anymore. My mental illness interfered with my scripture study and prayer. I didn't have physical strength or energy to get out of bed and care for my kids the way I wanted to. I felt worthless because I couldn't do things that I wanted to do. This caused me to, to reflect deeply on what gives me value and purpose. Firstly, I want to say that nothing you or I do can earn us Heavenly Father's love. Nothing we do can increase our personal value or worth. Just as President Nelson has said many times, Heavenly Father's love for you is simply always there. It has always been there and always will be there. Nothing you do can affect or change that for better or for worse. You can't earn his love. He has already given it freely and will never take it away. The same goes for your worth as his child. You cannot do anything to lessen or increase your worth. No amount of sin will decrease your worth. No amount of righteousness will increase your worth. So why be a disciple of Jesus Christ? I believe it's because he loves us perfectly. And when we experience that love, we want to love him back perfectly. The thing is, he is perfect and we are not. He is unchanging and we are still changing. So we cannot love him completely perfectly now but we want to do our best and give him what we can, which is ultimately just our heart. So for me, I choose to be a disciple of Christ, not because it will increase my value as a person or increase God's love for me, but because I have felt the Savior's redeeming, unconditional love. And I want to do all I can to love him the same way, to return that kind of love back to him. Secondly, think about how you define being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Is discipleship a list of things you do, or is it more? For me, discipleship is loving Jesus Christ and relying on him as I imperfectly strive to follow him. I'll say that one more time. For me, discipleship is loving Jesus Christ and relying on him as I imperfectly strive to follow him. I learned from my health crisis a few years ago that if my discipleship and purpose depend on what I can do, that it is not guaranteed to be lasting in this life. Because mortality is hard. Morality, mortality, (laughs) I wrote morality on my talk, but I meant mortality is hard and things change. 
physical health can change, mental health can change, and our personal capabilities can change. As I've healed and learned over the past few years, here are three things that being a disciple of Christ means to me. I decided to list these three things as things we can be rather than things we can do, because even in the lowest points of life, when we can't do what we normally do, we can still choose who we are going to be. Number one, be authentic by letting go of perfectionism. Number two, be a safe space and eliminate shame. Number three, be kind to yourself and set gospel-centered goals that encourage you rather than discourage you. So number one is we can be authentic. Um, I learned this through my experience with perfectionism um, or scrupulosity or religious OCD. They're kind of all the same thing for me personally. Um, they, I mean, there are differences in the details of them, but I'm going to call it perfectionism. So during my um, struggle with perfectionism, I lost focus of the music of the gospel um, because I was so focused on the do's of the gospel. Um, I had become obsessed with doing things correctly or doing them enough. I think that's really common for us in the church is becoming worried about whether we're doing things enough, whether we're good enough, whether we're offering enough. We also have this phrase of um, that Christ will um, make up the difference after all we can do. And I think we take that too far. We think we can always do more. But during my struggle with perfectionism, I lost the feeling of the music of the gospel. And I no longer was finding joy in what I was doing. Now I believe that perfectionism is based on a lie. And that lie is, I don't need or shouldn't need the Savior. Perfectionism becomes all about the do's and accomplishments, rather than on who we are and how much God loves us and who we are serving. Um, I thought of this little visual. Imagine that you're walking along a path carrying a huge bag of burdens on your back. You stagger along, sweating, with your muscles taut. Eventually, you stop focusing on your burden long enough to realize that the Savior is walking right beside you. You glance at him, and he tells you he can carry the burden for you, that he has already done the work. Now, here are two different ways a person could react. The first response, Lord, you shouldn't have to carry any more. This is my burden, and I should be able to carry it. If I ever want to be like you, I should be able to do what you do. I should be able to do this for myself. Um, I got to a point in my own life where this is what I thought discipleship was. Loving Christ so much that I didn't want to be able to, I didn't want to burden him. And then I thought I had to be able to do what he does right now. I was so focused on being like him right now. I thought I should be able to do everything myself and not rely on him. Here's the second response. The Lord offers to take your burden and you fall to his feet, laying the burden there on the ground and bathing his feet in your tears. When you can speak, you say, thank you, Lord. I need you. I need your help. Tell me what I can do as I follow you. Now, I believe that this second response is true and lasting discipleship. I think the first response is perfectionism and, um, and some unhealthy tendencies of thinking we should be able to carry on our own. But the second response to me is what discipleship is about, is laying our burden at his feet and crying to him and saying, thank you. I need you. And I accept your help. Um, and please guide me and tell me what to do to follow you. Our efforts alone won't last. No matter how hard we try to be exactly like the Savior now, it is impossible, and it is not what the Lord asks us to do. 
I love the footnotes in the scriptures when God commands us to be perfect, even as he is. As I've studied more on this, I've learned that God is asking us to be whole or complete, like he is. He's given us the way to be whole, and it is Jesus Christ. Being whole and complete won't come from anything we do. It will come from being with the Savior, and discipleship is the way we can be with him. So for me, discipleship is being with Jesus Christ. One example of how we might see or fall into perfectionism in the church. So sometimes we focus so much on what we and others do. For example, I will only date and or marry a returned missionary. Or I will be righteous if I serve a mission that is full time. This mindset or both of these mindsets are all about something someone accomplished and tells little about who someone is striving to become. It also tells us little about little about who that person is following. Eliminating perfectionism might look like changing those statements to, I will date and or marry someone who deeply loves the Lord and who wants to serve him with me. Or, I have, let's see. Oh, instead of I have to serve a mission to be righteous, I would like to serve a mission if I'm able. But more importantly, I want to make covenants with the Lord and be with him however that looks in my life. Changing the mindset in our church culture in this way might invite more of Christ's love into our church body. Letting go of perfectionism might make church a safer and more authentic place for people who come home from missions early or people who choose not to go on a mission because they, will, they know that their value is not based on things they do, but on who they are as a child of God. Um, and that the, their... Um, that their value and their worth as a child of God is unchanging and warrants unconditional love. I think Christ's church should be a safe space for all of God's children because the Savior is a safe space. He invites all to come unto him, no matter what state they are in or what they have or haven't done. Um, I love that the Savior always talks about how his arms are always open and that he's always at the door knocking and waiting. So I think authenticity is the solution here. Instead of trying to be perfect, let's allow ourselves to be authentic human beings. Let's be honest about our situations and our struggles as humans and about our desires to follow Jesus Christ. God made you with special and unique gifts and traits. He also knows you are only human right now. Allow yourself to be human and allow yourself to be the wonderful child of God that you already are. Number two, we can be a safe space and eliminate shame. So Satan introduced shame to Adam and Eve right away. It's one of his greatest tactics. Um, the example I'm thinking of is how after he convinced Adam and Eve to partake of the fruit, he told them to hide from God. And they thought they should hide from God because of their nakedness. But God knows our nakedness. I think it's so interesting that Adam and Eve felt they should hide their nakedness from God because he created them. He'd already seen them. He knew what they looked like. And I think that um, Satan, his voice tells us, hide from God. And I think of nakedness as vulnerability. I think Satan tells us, hide your vulnerabilities from God or hide them from others around you. Um, while God says, come to me, I already know you. Come to me and the Savior can heal you and lift you up and strengthen you. And your weaknesses can be made strong. So in this context, I'm talking about um, shame as a message that we should hide from God. We'll talk more about that in just a second. Um, but shame is one of Satan's greatest tactics. I think it always has been. 
Unfortunately, shame is so pervasive that it's even interwoven in some aspects of church culture and definitely in our societal culture. Kind of like the mission example I gave earlier, the message of shame is that you are not good if you didn't do this thing. In reality, what we do or don't do cannot change our worth. So shame versus guilt. Shame tells us to hide from God. It says, you are bad. Guilt, on the other hand, I think invites us to come to Christ and says, um, I've done something that's hurt me. I've done something bad. Uh, I interpret that as I've done something bad, meaning um, I've done something that that has given me a spiritual wound and that I know that Christ can heal. So I want to come to him. Um, just like Satan told Adam and Eve to do, he said, hide. Um, guilt tells us to go to God because he can help. So I used to think of guilt as being kind of like a yucky feeling, but now I think of it as this beautiful spiritual conscience that gives me a longing to come to Christ and to be healed. I think that the yuckiness that we often feel is shame that says you're bad. You're not worthy of this. Why would God want to talk to you? You better hide that from him. Um, While I think guilt is our spirit telling us, come to Christ. He can heal you. And yes, you're hurting, but you won't be hurting forever. And and the Savior can heal and he can help. Um, I shared this in one of my last episodes, but I had an experience with my little girl climbing cabinets and shelves. Um, And how I used to react kind of harshly to that. And instead of changing her behavior, she decided to hide her behavior. I think that's very normal. I think that's what we do in the church when we feel shame. When we feel shame around God's teachings, it doesn't invite us to have true change. Instead, it invites us to hide our reality when we're at church and when we're in prayer with God. So I think that for me, this shame um, shows up in church when we feel like we can't show what we're struggling with. We can't show our real life. Versus when we have authenticity and safety at church, when we have a safe space at church, I think that we feel comfortable making comments like, hey, I would like to talk about peacemaking in the context of parenting. My husband recently told me that he was in a um, elders quorum lesson that was really uplifting and beautiful because they were talking about President Nelson's talk, Peacemakers Needed. And at first they were kind of talking about like road rage and stuff. And then they started getting more personal. They started getting really personal. And my husband mentioned that he um, struggled sometimes with um, getting frustrated at home with kids. And I do too. (laughs) And he asked about like, here's some things that are helping me learn how to be a peacemaker at home. And you know, what are your thoughts? And it kind of became this open discussion about how can we be peacemakers in our home and what things are we struggling with right now? And I think that's a safe space when you don't have to hide, um, your humanness because God knows we're humans. That's not a surprise to him. And when we accept that humanness, it gives us a safe space to grow from and to start really experiencing deep spiritual growth and healing. Um, Let's see, what other examples? Oh, another thing I wanted to share is that um, a marriage family therapy graduate student once shared with me that in therapy or in what, what she was studying, the word should is practically a curse word. And me and my husband have been learning to eliminate that from our own speech because um, it really brings shame and um, into the way we talk to ourselves. For example, when I was writing this talk, I thought I should fast. I should go to the temple. I should prepare in a quiet, sacred place to give this talk. But my reality was 
I have a sick baby on my lap, and my kids are watching cartoons right next to me so that I can prepare this talk for a few moments. And that's okay. I'm being a disciple of Christ by doing my best. And so having those shoulds in my head doesn't help me or inspire me to be more like Christ. It instead brings unnecessary um, weight and feelings that I'm not good enough, that I'm bad. Um, but instead we can focus on what we are doing, what we're able to do, and um, just keep doing our best. Letting go of, of expectations can mean letting go of what we can't control, which includes feeling the spirit. This is another part of creating safe spaces is eliminating shame and eliminating um, some of our really high expectations. Um, for me, there was a time in my life when I couldn't feel the spirit because of my mental health. And that brought a lot of shame. I thought that I was doing something wrong and that I wasn't good. Neither of us, it's just part of my mortal experience. So sometimes it helps to let go of high expectations that we can't control. Um, we can't control how we feel or how we experience things, but we can control what we do. That's why I think it's important to focus on um, who are going to be as disciples of Christ. Um, if we only judge based on what we feel um, or um, basically if we, our expectation is to try to control things that are not in our control, we won't find happiness on this journey. But if we choose to focus on the things that are within our boundary, and we talked about boundaries in a past episode, um, I think it was practical tips for peacemakers. And um, if we focus on what's in our boundary, it helps us have a more um, positive experience and a more safe experience at church. Um, one last thought is you don't need to scare or shame yourself into being good. You already love the Lord or you already desire to love the Lord. You are doing what you need to do already. Keep on that path and allow yourself to be safe for yourself and kind to yourself. We can, we can treat both others and ourselves with kindness and mercy to create safe spaces for ourselves. Number three, we can be kind to ourselves, which we just talked about a little bit. Um, I intentionally chose not to say be joyful for this one. Instead, I chose to say be kind to ourselves. We don't have control over how we feel like we just talked about. We don't have control over which emotions we experience. We don't have control over whether a day is good or bad, but we do have control over how we treat ourselves and others. What if even on the bad days, we allowed ourselves to feel disappointed, frustrated, and still decided to treat ourselves with unconditional kindness? This goes along with what we've already been talking about, being authentic, not expecting perfection, being a safe space for ourselves and others by eliminating shame. But one more thing about being kind to ourselves is this idea. What if we set gospel-centered goals that encouraged and inspired us instead of discouraged us? I have fallen into this trap of setting gospel-centered goals that were discouraging instead of encouraging. My experience with my family, um, <laughs> when, when Come Follow Me first came out, I honestly felt discouraged. I was deep into perfectionism at the time, and instead of being excited for this new resource and this study guide, I thought, great, another way for me to fail the Lord and disappoint him. How sad. This feeling was evidence of the shame and perfectionism happening in my life. One thing that my husband and I have worked on the past few years is learning how to set goals that are so simple and so doable that they encourage us and help us build momentum. So for family scripture study, we finally let go of our should mindset. We should be able to keep our three tiny kids sitting peacefully and quietly on the couch while we read scriptures for half an hour with meaningful discussions and cute hand-prepared activities for the kids. <laughs> and baked cookies, of course. But instead, 
We let go of those shoulds and we decided to keep it really simple. We printed a verse of scripture, slapped it on the wall with some scotch tape in the kids' bedroom, and then we read that same scripture every single night with the kids for a month. It was simple but achievable, and it was a great goal for our family for scripture study. Our goal wasn't to memorize the scripture. It was just to read it every night, but we started to see miracles happen. The result was that our kids have each memorized five plus verses of scripture because we started switching out the scripture every, I don't know, three to five months, whenever we remembered to. And what we found was the the kids memorized scriptures, and that was not what we expected. But I think this is how the Lord works. We give what we can, even if it feels like a widow's might, but he makes that sacrifice into something beautiful, no matter how small or simple that offering is. He doesn't expect perfection. He just wants us to be with him and experience him in our lives in any of the small ways that we can. I just want to conclude by saying, I really believe that you cannot earn God's love and you don't have to. It's already there. You cannot earn your worth. It's already there. Christ has already paid the price to show that you are invaluable. We can be disciples of Christ by being with him. And that means enjoying um, and choosing to spend time with him, not just achieving things or checking off boxes. It's not about the do's, but it's about us choosing to be with him and to love him and to love ourselves. I think those are the things that will make us whole and make our joy complete. All opinions expressed in this podcast are my own. I do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I hope you enjoyed listening today. And you know what? Instead of saying, have a great day, I'm going to say, have a day. It might be a good one. It might not. And that's okay. Keep growing. Keep loving yourself. You've got this.